Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast, bridging the gap between Jewish leaders and those who follow them. Gain insight from Jewish professionals who make the decisions that influence your Jewish world. Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. And my guest today is Deborah Fishman, who serves as the Director of Communications for the Avihai Foundation and is the founder of FED, a community that restores the human capacity for empathy through delicious food, inspirational ideas, and artistic performances, as well as dialogue with people from diverse backgrounds who engage with Jewish creativity and culture. Previously, Deborah was the network animator for Present Tense Group and editor and publisher of Present Tense Magazine. Deborah is a Jew V Nation Fellow with the Union for Reform Judaism, a member of the ROI community, and was named one of the 30 under 30 Jews making an impact in the Jewish week. I came across Deborah's work as a part of my own organization's strategic planning process, and I really loved the concept she spoke about. And was curious to hear more about it, as well as hear how it's evolved since her article, The Emerging Field of Network Weavers, was first published in 2012. Welcome to the program, Deborah. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Great. So we'll start as we always do with just your own personal story and journey into how you got to your current position. So I feel in many ways like my whole life has been a search for community. I've sought it and ultimately tried to build it in a variety of different ways. I became religious at the most unlikely of places, Princeton University, where I became more involved in the community. I was the head of the Israel Club. I was organizing people. And what spoke to me was really the beauty of food and the idea of cooking for people that could connect you forward in time and backward in time with people all around the world who are eating similar or the same foods as you. I moved around to several different communities, trying to find my place in a place where I could contribute and be part of something larger than myself, which was really my vision for my involvement in any community where I just felt like it mattered whether I was there. And ultimately, I decided to build a community for myself, which is currently the current iteration is fed. I've basically experimented with a wide variety of ways of engaging people, food, and ideas in the intersection of what happens when those things collide which I find fascinating and really restorative for the Jewish community and for Jewish identity. I basically continued to build community through my involvement with Present Tense, where I was the editor and publisher of Present Tense magazine and the network animator. And in that environment, I also experimented with trying to build communities. The magazine was a diverse community of over 80 writers, editors, and artists who worked on every issue. And we collaborated entirely online and then produced an imprint product Every issue had a different topic, and I kind of weave people together who were passionate about that topic in a steering committee. And the idea was to get people who may feel alone and may feel like they're the only one who does what they do in the Jewish community as entrepreneurs, as artists, as activists, to get those people to engage in dialogue together and realize their commonalities and ways they could potentially collaborate. So I left Present Tense after the magazine closed, and I was looking for new ways to embark on journeys with network weaving. I really thought about my time in Present Tense and realized the most valuable thing about it, other than the people who were really extraordinary and everything else, was the idea of connecting people for a common cause. And I researched network theory and got really into that and realized that what I was doing was called network weaving, which is a term that was coined by June Hawley, who's the visionary founder of this idea. She worked with entrepreneurs in Appalachian, Ohio, which is a very different context than the Jewish community. And yet this idea of connecting people to share common practices and challenge and work together and form solutions was very powerful to me. 
I went on this journey to understand what network weaving means in the Jewish context. I interviewed around 30 network weavers. They didn't call themselves that, but I did. And wanted to discover what the common challenges were, what they were looking to address, you know, what they thought about in their work. And I realized a couple of things. First of all, that people who are in this work, really, the term really means something to them that's very valuable. And they totally get it when I try to explain it to them. The way I describe network weaving is you can do things in a variety of different ways. You can work in a top-down way in an organizational structure. Network weaving is working through people. So if you're trying to achieve a cause or bring about a new reality, it's working through the people you know and who you know can make a difference, connecting them and allowing their passions and their hard work to be synergistic and to combine into something that's a greater whole. So when I speak about this concept with people who are engaged as communications people, as alumni relations people, as people in the tech world, as people, anyone really, social activists, bringing people together for a greater cause, all this theory really speaks to them. So I've researched a lot about the theory and spoke with these people and realized that what was really necessary was a network of network weavers, which would allow people to exchange best practices, to get to know each other, to help each other on a really practical level, and also to learn about the theory and the science behind social networks, of which there's a great deal of literature and common knowledge you know, outside the Jewish community and also in it. And I wanted to bring light to that and to help network weavers better connect. So to do this, I actually began working at the Avichai Foundation, where I'm the director of communications. And I started a pilot program called Hareshet, which was a network weaver training program for Avichai grantees. So there were six organizations that were selected of Avichai's grantees who are currently working on building networks and have the capacity to really think strategically about how to do this. And I worked with them for a year to build their networks. So more recently, I started thinking about this idea again, and I've started running Network Weaver dinners to try to bring Network Weavers together here in New York City who are based here. I'm working with Ruben Uzan, who I met actually through Network Weaving. He is a friend of David El Chatron, who is the founder of Juice Salsa in Paris, which is a really interesting klezmer salsa mashup that's done lots of flash mobs and all this cool stuff in Paris. Somewhat similar to Fed and its vision and inclusivity and just Jewish creativity and all that good stuff. So David, I met at a conference. We realized we're both ROIers and connected about that on a very personal level. And when he came through New York City, I was like, I'm going to host you. We want to do an event together. So I hosted David and we ran an event, a juice salsa event here where I cooked and he did salsa dancing. It really worked out. And one of the people who came to the event was Ruben Uzan, who is a friend of David's back in Paris. He's here in New York City with the Ralph Goldman Fellowship with the JDC. And he and I really connected and realized that we're both very passionate about bringing together people engaged in network weaving. And it was based on those conversations and that sense of common mission that we started running network weaver dinners here in New York City. So the story really shows the potential of this kind of network weaving of people interacting and realizing commonalities, even when they're not directly in your line of sight. Like Ruben's a Sephardic Jew from Paris that I might not have had the opportunity to meet if it weren't for this connection with David. So the focus of this podcast is really around, you know, Jewish professionals in various Jewish organizations. So in the article that you wrote back in 2012, you kind of outlined three things that organizations could be doing a little bit better to kind of bring this idea of network weaving as more front and center of what they're doing. So You outlined the first being training that organizations should gain a greater understanding of how networks operate and how to work in a very networked way. Two, 
connecting network weavers across organizations, which seems like a lot of what's come out of this article for you is trying to fill that gap. And the last one you talk about is professionalizing and really trying to create this common terminology that we're using is network weaving and how to incorporate that as part of people's job descriptions and the overall strategy in the organization. So I know you kind of touched a little bit upon your work with present tense that brought you to this place of writing this article and making these recommendations. But I'd love to hear a little bit about what you were seeing in the community that was the antithesis to this, right? What were you seeing that made you say, oh gosh, like, you know, I need to write something. I need to bring this out because I'm not seeing this or I'm seeing a lot of, you know, this that I think needs a little bit of help. So I speak a lot about organizational network weaving, about how to make organizations work more as networks. There is a disconnect, like a fundamental disconnect between the kind of networks that June Hawley works with in Appalachian, Ohio, that are very grassroots and they're, if someone has an idea, they run with it. It's very free flowing and you sense the environment and then you react to the environment and that kind of thing. That's sometimes antagonistic to a Jewish organizational context or really any organizational context where there's a goal and you're working to achieve that goal. So I guess one thing I work with organizations on is trying to be clear about what your goals are and how network weaving can or can't help you achieve those goals. The danger of network weaving is that you'll find a population that really wants to be involved in something. Network weaving brings that to the forefront and then it turns out that that's kind of antithetical or even just not exactly in line with your mission and therefore something that can't really be pursued by that organization. I try to engage in organizational network weaving and I advise organizations to be very strategic about their goals and how network weaving will help them reach that and then use network weaving as a strategy, not as an end in and of itself, but as a strategy to reach those goals. To give a concrete example, there's organizations that work around issues of social justice or around issues of education or whatever the goal is to try to think about the concrete strategies that will help you reach those goals. The other big issue that I come up against in organizational context is that there has to be someone in the organization who has the time and the capacity to actually do this work. I think what I saw a lot of was organizations that really desire to engage millennials or desire to engage, you know, name your population, but they don't necessarily have the current organizational capacity. A lot of Jewish organizations are unfortunately stretched thin and may not have the capacity to devote time to actually doing that work. Network weaving takes time and it takes resources to actually achieve your goals. So I try to work with organizations that have that capacity currently and are working on this strategy. Yeah. And it also seems like a great opportunity when there's turnover, right? When you're crafting a job description and reevaluating that position, you know, how you can kind of fit that function in and using that terminology into, you know, changing that position to allow for maybe a little more time in that portfolio to be doing more of that kind of work. Yeah, I think it's an interesting shift that we kind of see. And as I mentioned, I came across your work due to a strategic planning process of really trying to figure out, you know, how to move from programs kind of delivered to the people, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, the model of many, many Jewish organizations in the world right now, to how to connect people to each other and then assist them in doing the work and the programs that they want to do together. You know, not saying from up high, oh, we think you should be doing this. Here's the toolkit to do it. Go do it. You know, as opposed to kind of your model of thinking about network weaving and how do we kind of connect people together to create the things that they want and need. 
Absolutely. And I think the basis of it really is relationships. I've found in my personal experience that if there aren't relationships that are strong and can actually drive the work, it's much harder to build this out of nothing. You need to actually talk to people on the ground and form relationships with people. And and that's the source of information. That's why a network weaver is so powerful. It's because they're talking to people on the ground all the time from that knowledge of what these people are facing in their lives and their experiences and their challenges and successes. The network weaver gains a lot of knowledge in the bigger picture that can be used to actually develop programs that can then benefit that population. You've been listening to It's Who You Know, the podcast. This is your host, Michelle Debbie Malkin. Before turning to my conversation with Deborah, I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to the guest for our next podcast episode. David Siegelman is the founder and chief executive officer of Moisha House, who discusses with me what it has been like to create and grow this innovative organization. Here is a clip from our upcoming conversation. I think the challenge is, are we really engaging people to then follow and listen to them? Or are we engaging them to try to join and do exactly what we're doing? Those are very different objectives. I mean, for us, what we're trying to do is give people the confidence and community to build Jewish life for themselves, their peers, in their homes, in their communities. And we understand that's going to look different. Some of it looks very traditional. Mm-hmm. Some of it looks very reimagined. And all of that for us is good as long as it's tied to that kind of ritual and tradition and Judaism, as opposed to saying, this is the only way that Judaism is structured and you have to sort of fit into that box. Be sure to listen to the rest of my conversation with David in the next episode of It's Who You Know. But for now, back to Deborah. So talk to me a little bit about how one goes about developing this skill. When I hear you talk about talking to a lot of people on the ground and that kind of stuff, I'm like, it makes me think about phone calls, right? And emails and text messages and snail mail letter campaigns and email letter campaigns and all the different ways that organizations communicate. You know, if you say, okay, this is an awesome concept. I want to be a network weaver. What do I do? (laughs) Like, how do I get this started? And do I try and think about one mode of communication with people over other modes of communication? Or does it even matter? So I think the first step is really to identify people you know in your constituency. It's best to look at hubs who are people in a network who are the most highly connected with others in that network. So if you're looking in a network of people, you might want to look for people who have large social media presences or just know a lot of, for whatever reason, like maybe their organizational context or whatever it is, that they receive a lot of information from others in your field. So seek those people out and have face-to-face meetings with them. There is no substitute for face-to-face meetings, which is to develop relationships and develop trust. A lot of this work is built on trust. You know, email and social media and texting is great, but when it comes down to it, this is why this is so time and labor intensive. There really is no substitute for actually interacting with people in an in-person way. Is that to exclude video conferencing? (laughs) I found that to, you know, have really changed the way that we are able to do work in a larger scale where we can't, you know, I, you know, most people that I talk to, I can't go sit and have coffee with, you know, and then this is kind of a way to close that gap a little bit. Obviously that's ideal. Sure. I think video conferencing is a great second option if it's not possible to meet people in person. You can definitely, there's all kinds of technology these days that enables in-person-like interaction. Right, right, right. So I guess the next step, once you meet with lots of people and you have a more of a bird's eye view of what's going on in your area, the next step is to start connecting them. So through your conversations, you will hear common themes, you'll hear common challenges, you'll hear 
anything that runs as a thread through your conversations, or you might hear someone saying, this is a challenge, and someone else saying, well, I have a solution to this challenge. So the next step is to do what June Holly calls choosies, which is putting two people together in touch with one another that you knew separately. Having those people have a conversation. The goal of the network leading experience is actually to have them concretely work on something together, like work on a project that helps them advance their goals. So I'll give you one concrete example of network leading just to get a sense of how this works. One of the projects that I spearheaded at Avichai and I'm currently the program officer for is called The Collaborative, which is a network of Jewish day schools that is run by Jonathan Cannon and Alana Cutler at Educana Consulting under the auspices of Prisma. And what happens is that two or three schools that are facing common challenges or have a common passion have the opportunity to collaborate together to solve their collective challenges. Examples of projects have been like game-based learning or STEAM in the Chagim or differentiated instruction in Hebrew. These all came out of sensing a common interest or common passion amongst these schools. And then basically, Alana and Jonathan, as the network weavers, have a bird's eye view on what the needs and the priorities are of these different schools and can weave them together to address these challenges. And then the actual collaboration takes place through offering professional development or offering some form of collective experience through which participants gain knowledge and expertise that they may not have access to as individual schools. And then bringing the learning back to their school and implementing a project or a curriculum or some other guide or some other way of actually developing that knowledge in a way that's helpful for their particular school and their particular context. And then sharing back to the larger group what they've learned and the lessons that they had, as well as sharing specific curriculum that have come out of the initiative so that everyone can benefit from that collective expertise. And instead of having one school having to solve each challenge by itself, it can benefit from sort of the collective knowledge of multiple schools and the opportunity to learn together with them. Sounds like you also need to be very clear about your target audience, right? Who it is that you are looking to connect with and connect together and kind of have a framework before you even get started, right? Yes, absolutely. One of the lessons we learned from the collaborative is it was originally developed as a network of day school leaders at these schools. And what we found out was that day school leaders often have a lot of priorities and might not have the time to devote to developing these projects, although some of them do, but that the teachers were a population that was not receiving the professional development that leaders often Mm -hmm. receive and does not have the opportunity often to network with teachers in other school can be kind of isolating to be a teacher in your own classroom. And they have actually been jumping at the opportunity to interact with their peers at different schools or even within their own school to collaborate and learn together. Are these local schools that are collaborating together or is this a wider initiative? It's a national initiative. There's also schools in Canada, but sometimes local schools can collaborate effectively together because they are in the same region. For instance, the New York area Schechter schools have worked on a project together because it was easy for them to drive to each other's schools and Mm -hmm. collaborate together. So talk to me a little bit about this on kind of an organizational scale. I feel like sometimes organizations meet each other and they're like, oh, we do similar things or we work with similar populations or like, oh, we should do something together. And then it's kind of like, well, what does that look like? And then they try to create something new and they're not really sure. And then sometimes it doesn't really work. And so I'm kind of curious. And when you find another organization that you think would be a good partner, How does this network weaving idea kind of play into how you figure out how that can be mutually beneficial and actually not necessarily work to your advantages, but be a good positive 
partnership and not just kind of floundering and be like, well, we can put this thing out together or maybe we do that thing. You know, I feel like there's always kind of a little bit of confusion (laughs) that goes along with the how when it comes to kind of larger organizations wanting to collaborate. Absolutely. So the way I describe network weaving is basically that it gives access to informational, financial, and human resources that you may not have had otherwise. So I think the big win for organizations is to figure out, is there information that another organization has that you don't have access to? Is there financial advantages or opportunities to partner? Is there human capital that could be exchanged or leveraged due to the relationship between these organizations? I think those are the main three areas that if you're able to share these resources, I think everyone will be better off. Another thing to keep in mind is just to make sure the vision is a common vision, meaning that the organizations should come to an understanding of what the goal is. And if their missions are aligned, that's great, and they should proceed. And the other thing I would just keep in mind is that there are different forms of collaboration, ranging from collaboration on very specific initiatives to collaboration on like back-end operations to actual mergers. Like There's a whole range So collaboration can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and it's important to pick the right form that works for both organizations. So how do you get over the hump of those that are terrified by that? I just remember a quick story. I was at a professional development lunch, and there was a presentation from an organization, and at the time I was running a synagogue, and they basically said to us, oh, part of our project is this data collection So you all give us your membership lists and we take those lists and we map out where these people are and we map out all this kind of data that's very beneficial to you in so many ways, but only when you give over, you know, your mailing list. And I literally sat there and wrote the person an email as they were presenting and I said, it's not going to happen, right? And nobody in this room in the 20 synagogues that were represented are going to buy into that. No organization I've ever known is willing, right, to just be so open with their finances, with their membership lists, with a lot of these resources and staff time, you know, how do you kind of help convince people (laughs) that it's this collective good through that level of sharing? Sure. It isn't necessarily always a collective good. I'll say there's definitely lines. And I think each organization should be clear going into it, what those lines are and what they are and are not willing to share. There's nothing saying that everyone should share each other's email lists or anything like that if it's not beneficial for all parties. You know, there are situations where it is useful, but there's definitely situations where it's not. A good way to look at it is the theme from Beth Cantor and Allison Fine's book, The Network Nonprofit, which is do what you do best and network the rest. Meaning if you can actually help supplement what an organization is doing because your mission is something distinct but complementary for them, that's kind of the best case scenario for these kinds of exchanges to happen. When there's a direct competition, obviously it gets a lot trickier in terms of sharing this information. But if there is a greater good and there are different goals of the organizations are synergistic as opposed to competitive, there is the opportunity to be like, we're doing different things where our missions are complementary and we can do what we do best and also have this organization do what they do best and help each other out. So talk to me a little bit about FED, about this organization that you've founded and what work it does and how you went about creating that. The goal of FED really is to restore human empathy through simply understanding what it's like to be someone else and getting uncommon conversations that may not have had otherwise through actually sharing a meal with someone. As I said in the beginning, I think food is an amazing way for people to actually connect and it lowers barriers and allows people to relate to another that wouldn't necessarily be possible in a different kind of context or environment. So I started Fed. It seems as though it was a eureka moment where I came up with this idea, but it really is the process of the past 10 years of experience I have in hosting and combining people, food, and ideas. 
this recent iteration was sparked when I was hosting in my apartment and people were saying, you should open a restaurant, you should do something with your food expertise. And I really felt like it's really for me about the people and also about Judaism and, and incorporating Jewish content. So I started Fed to do that. It's like TED, but you get fed is the way I usually say it. So it's dinner parties with speakers, dancers, performers, other kinds of inspirational content with the goal of really connecting people to one another and to this collective experience in the greater whole. So a lot of the content is Jewish, relating to Jewish creativity and expressing Judaism in a creative way. I had a Rosh Hashanah dinner this year, which was supported by a Make It Happen grant from the ROI community, where we had a speaker who was talking about Jewish diversity. April Baskin from the URJ, who told a story that brought the room to tears about her personal background. We had Jonathan Stone, who's a Jewish beatboxer who's been on American Idol, perform. And we had music talks bring in some Ladino musicians. The theme was basically Jewish diversity and the understanding that all these Jewish creative outlets can promote a more global understanding of what it means to be Jewish. So we had about 40 people and the food was Ethiopian and Israeli. So again, like global Jewish influences. And people participated in a collective text study, which was kind of a network weaving text study where you went up to people who had either questions or texts and engaged in a conversation with them, which encouraged people to flow around the room and really talk to people they wouldn't have talked to otherwise. So at the end of the day, what I want is for people to have these uncommon experiences and connection to Judaism and take away from it this sense of their own authenticity and identity, as well as the hopefully synergistic connections to others they've come in contact with. I had a dinner where actually it was a Seder, a Passover Seder, where three of the participants who were there formed a band. They hadn't known each other previously, but it was a very musical evening. Marcus Holly, who does Go Down Moshe, performed he's performed like black slave spirituals and a sort of Passover context of freedom and slavery and connecting in that way. So it was very musical and everyone just burst out in song and three of the people formed a band. So those kind of synergies that you just wouldn't have expected or couldn't know to predict is kind of what I'm going after with the Fed experience. So how has this changed and evolved since you first started investigating this idea to what's kind of available or around or the different projects that you're working with now? What did you not expect was going to happen or didn't realize you didn't know? Or, you know, how has that process been? I think I started just on a personal level. I started out on a very theoretical level with the theory and social networks as kind of a theoretical construct. And the kinds of earlier articles I wrote were very theoretical in nature. And at this point, I have more practical experience. And I see the very practical benefits of network weaving that are not at all about this theory, but rather about like, you have a project, I can help you out, let's collaborate together and actually see this happen. So the network weaving dinners I mentioned before have created a lot of that kind of synergy, where at the end of it, we have people share challenges and basically workshop them. And I found out that these network weavers actually can help each other. Like there's challenges they have and there's people who know people who can solve them. And that solves a problem you might have spent days on in the course of an evening. So the very practical benefits, I think to me, are very real. And the theory is important and should be definitely be learned and understood. But it's more of a practical reality to me at this point than more of a theoretical construct. That's awesome. So really kind of as you learned about it and investigated and researched it, and now you're kind of seeing the fruits of what that actually looks like. So looking into the future a little bit, how do you hope that this changes the current Jewish landscape or just Jewish professional work in general? How do you see this kind of shaping the future of the community? So I feel like we're only becoming more connected over time. I feel like the trends are towards networks in terms of just how technology has developed, how communities have grown. And I really feel that the Jewish community has a tremendous opportunity to 
engage people at the periphery, which should be actualized and should be taken up. The number of people who are outside the bounds of traditional affiliation is only growing in the non-Orthodox community. And network weaving provides a concrete example of, of how you can actually make that happen and incorporate those people into Jewish life. I talk about innovation coming from the periphery, meaning that in a network, the people on the edges of the network are more likely to bring in new ideas and the insiders who are subject to groupthink and keep talking about the same ideas. It's the new energy from the periphery that can bring in those new ideas. And I think the Jewish community has a tremendous opportunity to engage these people and everyone who might be interested in Judaism or have a Jewish story. That story should be told and it should be incorporated into the Jewish experience. And Network Weaving can help do that. And I think it's also when you talk about kind of putting this more in job descriptions, I also feel like it's it's not everybody, right? It's really identifying in your staff, who is that person? Who is right. that role? Where is that position? Because I'm thinking to myself and I'm like, and I wish I was that like social and engaging and thoughtful about like where people fit together. And of course, if you know, felt something natural, but I know other people that are like, this is their jam. Like this is what they do and how they interact with other people and they just love it. And so I think part of this is also, you know, making space for it in your organization and identifying who are the right people to really take this on for your organization. Absolutely. I think about that a lot. A lot of it is intrinsic to people's personalities and just curiosity about people and love of people and wanting to know everything that there is about the other. And that's a huge part of what can make you successful in network weaving. Having said that, a lot of the skills and techniques can be learned. And networking is something that's commonly taught and certainly everyone can improve and being more strategic about how they meet people and what they do with those relationships. So it's a combination of both of the sort of inherent intrinsic skills that people have and then how to leverage common techniques and practices to improve and up your game. What is some advice you have for our listening audience for Jewish professionals in all different places in their career or even some lay leaders involved in the community? What's the advice that you have for them? Sure. So the first thing is just absolutely get to know people, get to know the people that you work with, the people that you interact with on a really real level. And you never know what interests might emerge. Ask people questions like, what are you passionate about? What keeps you up at night? You know, how are you contributing your talents or how would you like to contribute your talents to Jewish people? And people that may not have considered this or even like are thought to be asked it may volunteer things that you would never have found out otherwise. This is kind of a standard community organizing technique of asking people what they're passionate about. And I think it's really helpful and will help us be more effective and connected. The second thing is this idea of there being strength and diversity and seeking out people who are on your periphery. Like think about who you know, who's not completely and totally connected and you speak with every day, but who has a new perspective that could bring value to your work. Seek out those people and seek their advice about what you're working on. Just get to know them. And if you find those people who have the new ideas, it'll bring innovation into your work. And then I guess the final thing is just to engage with the whole of people's Jewish identities and really understand people and don't make assumptions about their Judaism, but get to know how Jewish values such as hospitality and openness and dialogue can contribute to the larger Jewish collective whole. So I know that you have two daughters, you founded this organization of yours, you obviously have a full-time job, but I'm sure lots of other hobbies and things in your life, including cooking. So how do you keep it all balanced and together and working and get everything done that you're clearly so ambitious to achieve? So I feel like I'm just passionate about all these causes. And I think that it's important to know yourself to know what your passions are and, and what your talents are and to be able to give yourself creative outlets to exercise those, which for me is this community building and network weaving kind of focus. 
And the second thing I would say is to accept your own limitations, to understand that you're not going to be perfect. And sometimes you may not have control of all the variables in your life and just to be okay with that and be willing to surmount the kinds of challenges that life throws at you and the messiness of different situations and just be okay with the loss of control. Of course, you take control of what you can and you hope for the best, but there are situations where you have to just accept the full picture. Well, we've covered a lot of ground as far as you know, all the different elements of your work as a network weaver, how one can start to think of themselves in that way or start to think about how to integrate that into their organization. Any other kind of lingering ideas or thoughts about your work or things people could glean from your experiences? So first of all, I want to say that if anyone out there is a network weaver or considers themselves one in whatever they do, or if this concept really speaks to you and you find yourself nodding and being like, yes, I absolutely do that too, to definitely be in touch with me. I'd, I'd love to invite you over to dinner and get to know you and incorporate you into this network of network weavers that I'm talking about. So I'd love to be in touch with any and all network weavers out there. And I feel like a lot of Jewish professionals are doing this work. And I just want to also thank you for the important work you do for the Jewish community and all the various capacities you operate in. I think each of us engages in, you know, like working with constituencies and leveraging causes in whatever way that you do. And that work is so vital for the Jewish future. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And this is a lot of good stuff to be thinking about. So thank you so much, Deborah. Thank you. None of us do our work in a bubble. We work in a community. And that means the more connected to each other we are, the stronger our community is. Building these bridges serves to create strong bonds between our professionals and our organizations. Are there people in your organization who are the designated quote-unquote network weaver? Someone whose job it is to help your organization make connections, attend community events, and seek opportunities for your organization and your staff. It's easy for us to do our work internally and not think much about what's happening outside our doors. Not only do we benefit from the wisdom that network weaving brings back to our organization, but it improves our reputation as an organization that partners and has relationships with many areas of our work. This takes, however, some intention. It takes time, it takes dedication, and it takes a certain kind of person who enjoys meeting and connecting people to each other. These types of people shouldn't be relegated to consulting or other outside roles. They can be people within our organization making connections for the benefit of everyone. It's wonderful that Deborah is doing this work inside of the Avichai Foundation, helping Jewish educational institutions rethink the way that they connect with one another. She's been a wonderful resource in how our community thinks about network weaving and how our professionals try and grow that skill within themselves. We have no other announcements this week. We'd like to welcome our newest sponsor, the American Hebrew Academy, which is an international Jewish college prep boarding school located in Greensboro, North Carolina. We'll be hearing more about their unique offerings in the coming weeks, as well as from their chief executive officer and general counsel, Glenn Drew. This program has been funded in part by the Jim Joseph Foundation, Our editor is Nick Bowden of Bowden Sound, and our fiscal sponsor is Jewish Creativity International. You can find previous episodes, guest bios, podcast articles, how to start your own podcast, and more on our website, itswhoyouknowthepodcast.com. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful week.